0: Well, I want to give you, as you're, as you're finding 1 Samuel chapter number 21, I just want to kind of give, give you a little introduction and let you know who I am because I feel like uh, you won't listen until you know who I am a little bit. My name is Matt Boer. I was, uh, I was raised in the home uh, of a backslidden mother and an unsaved father. And didn't wasn't allowed to go to church, and uh, my father, who was unsaved, I heard all the stories from my backslidden mother at the time uh, about how horrible Christians were, which of course was not true. And so I got saved early on. I tell you my salvation testimony. I was five, six, seven years old and uh, my cousin came to visit with me. Her name was Shauna and uh, she came to visit me. I'm I'm just a young elementary kid. I just have cousins there. So we're playing uh, in my room and she leaves the room for a few moments and Comes back into the room and she has a New Testament, one of those you know little tiny New Testaments that you can fit in your pocket somewhere. And she has it opened. I'm not sure where where it's open to. I don't know that she knew. She was five, six, at the same age I was. But I, what I did not know is that her parents had been, my aunt and uncle had been encouraging her to pray for me because I wasn't saved. So she came to visit me and she walked. We we played we play in my room. She walks away. She walks b- back in with the Bible open and she says. If you don't get saved, you're going to hell. Well, it's good to have my cousin visit with me. But I can remember very distinctly that day that it scared me. Hell scared me. I never heard about that before. And I went and remember finding my mother. They were sitting around the living room area and finding my mother and kind of pulling her aside and telling her, my cousin told me this, and asking her something to the effect of, is that true? And I can remember her finding a place where my dad could not see us because my dad wouldn't let her talk to me about any of this kind of stuff. And although she was backslidden, she knew who the Lord was and she knew how to be saved. And I can remember her finding a place away from my dad so he didn't know. And telling me, yep, heaven's real. Yes, hell is real. Yes, you deserve to go to hell, but Jesus died to save you. And I can remember as a young boy, a young elementary boy getting saved that day. It It was a great day for me. The sad truth is that my mom and dad didn't have me in church after that. Didn't get baptized. As a matter of fact, from the time I was 7 or 8 until the time I was 15 and continued to live that life, and uh, a saved kid in, in the public school and, uh, and fully engaged in everything it had to offer, uh, the only hiccup for me is that my, my friends like to do certain things, and inside there was something that said to me, that's not right. And I, it aggravated me, to be honest with you, because all my friends were having fun. And I, I thought, I, if I go with you, I'm not going to have fun because I'm, I'm not going to like it. And I, I'm going to say, no, I can't go do that. And I didn't know why at the time, but I had the Holy Spirit living in me. Well, when I was 15, my father's business failed. My mother and father separated. Uh, and my mother finally got right with God. And she said, I'm moving back home. And she's gonna, she moved us all back home uh, and moved in with her father, who was a pastor, And she got right with God. I got baptized, and from the age of 15 on, I began to grow and live for the Lord. God called me in the ministry. After college, I went back and served at my home church. I was a youth director for my grandfather, my pastor, for six, seven years before he passed away. And then for the next 11 years, uh, I was the pastor of my home church uh, there in Fort Myers, Florida. And I will take a little detour here mentioned Fort Myers to you. That was my home for 25 years. Many of you have been praying for Fort Myers. Do we have any Floridians in here today? Any Floridians? Wonderful. And so you know what it's like to go through a hurricane. So my mother just got power back yesterday and my in-laws got power back two days ago. I was praying for my mother. I can't tell you if I was praying for my in-laws or not, but no, I was. They're good people. But, but I appreciate you praying for all the folks down in that area. Pray for many of the a good pastor friend of mine, Jay Shepherd. his home is totally destroyed, washed away. And so thank you for praying for them down there. But that's my testimony. And then three years ago, I moved to Jefferson, Georgia. I had always heard about Ambassador Baptist College. And so I got close enough that I thought, I can go visit. And I came to visit a couple years ago. It was in the middle of COVID. So that was a little different. But I'm so glad to be able to be here with you. I'm going to tell you one more little little story. Some people say, I'm getting older now, but I've been... I've had this wonderful head of hair ever since I was 18 years old. And so I've had to explain why are you bald for a lot of years. But I always tell this little story, and I have a poem about being bald since I've dealt with this so long. It's here it is, God is great, and God is fair. To some he gave brains, and to others he gave hair. (laughs) And some people say, I don't get it. And my response is, my point exactly. <laughs> Wonderful. Have you found 1 Samuel chapter 21? I've almost worked up the courage to preach to you. I hope you've worked up the courage to listen. Would you mind standing with me as I read this passage of Scripture? I'm going to read verse number 1 down through verse number 9. Now this is the story in context here. David uh, David has uh, he's been anointed king in private. Saul is still the king. He's been under Saul's Uh, kind of household and working for Saul. But in the previous chapter, Saul's finally tried to kill him enough times. David's figured out, hey, I need to run away. And so David is running away from King Saul, and we pick up in verse number one, it says this. Then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David and said unto him, Why art thou alone, and no man with thee? And David said unto Ahimelech the priest, The king hath commanded me a business and hath said unto me, Let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee. And what I have commanded thee, I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. By the way, if you don't know the context, this is a lie. David's lying. Shouldn't have done that, but there it is. Verse number three. Now therefore, what is under thine hand? He asked this priest. Give me five loaves of bread in my hand and what there is present. In other words, he's running away. He's hungry. He needs some help and he stops it lies to the priest and tries to get anything he can from him. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread under mine hand, but there is hallowed bread. If the young men have kept themselves at least from women, David answered the priest and said unto him, Of a truth, women have been kept from us about three days, and since I came out and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is a manner common, yea, though it were sanctified this day by the vessel. So the priest gave him hallowed bread. For there was no bread there, but the show bread which was taken from before the Lord to put hot bread on the day when it was taken away. So this is the bread that had been sitting there, but it's been taken away. It's set aside for the priests. The priest says, "Oh, you can share it with us." Verse seven. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. And David sent to Himelech. And is there not here under thine hand a spear or a sword? So he's got some bread to quench his hunger, but now he's thinking, I have to defend myself. I'm running from Saul. I'm no longer part of the army. I'm no longer, I really have a country. I'm I'm an outcast. I need something to defend myself. Is there not here under thy hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, who now slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod, if thou wilt, take it, for there is no other save that here. And I want you to notice what David said. So again, here's the context. He's running away. He's fearful, probably for one of the first times in his life. He's not sure which direction to go, and he gets some bread from this priest, and He's looking for some uh, weapons to defend himself. And they say, hey, Goliath, his sword is here. You'll probably recognize it, David. Your hands have held it before. You can take that if you want to. But I want you to to notice what David says about that sword. And I want to kind of preach to you about that topic. But notice his response. And David said, there is none like it. Give it me. There is none like it. In other words here's David's sword, or here's Goliath's sword. And David said, wow, man, that is some sword. I'll take it. And I want to I talk to you about this subject, in love with Goliath's sword, in love with Goliath's sword. And I'll, I'll explain it to you in a second. Would you pray with me and for me as we, as we continue? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for allowing us to gather together, Lord. And I pray today that you'd help us as your servants, that, Father, we would not fall in love with the things that are used by the enemy. thinking those are going to help us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. In love with Goliath's sword. And here's kind of the way I, I look at this passage of Scripture and I look at the, this guy's sword. I, I look at his, this, this, this passage of Scripture and I realize that David has gotten to Goliath's sword and he's running and he's trying to, uh, he's trying to, to, to get free from Saul and trying to stay safe and uh, he's, he's, he's in a place where he, uh, he's not really sure what to do next and uh, we'll talk about some of these things, but, but he sees this sword and he, and he says, wow, uh, that that is really impressive and that that is that is uh, something that i have needed and that that is what is really going to help me in this time but i want to point out to you uh and, and that that goliath's sword goliath's sword it was to look at it was impressive and to uh, uh and to to see it uh it was described earlier on in first samuel chapter number 7, and uh to see it may have been an impressive thing but really the truth of the matter was is it Did it do Goliath any good the last time that Goliath had it? Didn't help him much. He lost his head with it. And the truth of the matter is, is David got in a pinch in his life and got into a place uh, in his life where, where instead of valuing the things that really matter, he valued things that were really Impressive. And it seemed like, whoa, look at that. Whoa, how, how, how impressive is that? And, and he forgot about all of the things that God had done in his life and how God had worked in his life to get him to that place and gave all of that up for something that's impressive. Now, I'm going to give you a couple thoughts here and, give, and apply this if I could. First of all, if you're taking notes and writing things down, I want you to look at his stressful situation. He surely had a stressful situation. This was, this was a tough time for David. Now, this was a time of unusual pressure for David. David, David was under a, a ton of pressure, and, and, and really for the first time, you see David not knowing what to do. And he, and he had this unusual pressure, and now uh, this is not like the bear and the lion, and this is not like facing Goliath. No, now his own king, Saul, is turned against him, and he's sure, beyond any shadow of a doubt, that Saul is going to try to kill him, and he doesn't know how to handle it. And as, and as he runs out of this, and this, having this time of unusual pressure, I, I want to let you know this, that you're in a wonderful, wonderful place at Ambassador Baptist College right now, and there are times of pressure. Now, those, those times are called midterms. Those times are called final exams. You know, you have times of pressure. Uh, finance, that when the bill is due, those are all pressure times. But if you're thinking, hey, I'm going to graduate college, and from here on out I'm just going to get to serve the Lord and there's no pressure, you're, you're, you're sadly mistaken. Because there's all kinds of times of pressure. You young men are going to face pressure whatever ministry God leads you to. And you're, you're going to get out there and you're going to think, hey, look, I, I handled it pretty good. Handed it pretty good those midterms and I handled uh, finals pretty good and I got my bill paid on time. I, I've got all those conquered and now I'm gonna get out and you're gonna you're gonna face some things that, that are gonna get you that are gonna get you turned sideways. You're not gonna know how to answer those. Those are gonna be anything from situations in your church where you don't know how to help people. Those are gonna be situations in your ministry where it's not things aren't going the way that you think they should go. And you'll get stressed out about it. That's going, to, that, that, that's going to apply in ministry stuff. That's going to apply in family areas. You're going to, you're going to get out of here, and you fellas, you'll get, you'll get married one day, Lord willing, if you ever take a shower and brush your hair. And, uh, so, but you're going to get married one day, and you're going to realize, hey, look, the dorm guys that I live with, those, were hard to, those guys were hard to live with. But living with a wife is a totally different thing. Ladies, think different. Well, praise God for it. It's going to be hard. There are going to be stressful situations. You know, one day, if God, if God blesses you and your family, you're going you're gonna to hold a little baby in your hand, and you're going to realize, wait a second, I am not prepared to be a dad, and I'm not prepared to be a mom, and I, I know what the Bible says about these things, but but when you're in the middle of it and you hold a child in your hand, you say, wait a second, this is, this is an heritage of the Lord. It's a gift from God. What do I do with this? Man, th- that, that adds another level of stress and another level of responsibility that it's hard to comprehend. And sometimes when you get in these different situations, you say, I-, I wasn't prepared for that. What do I do? And so that's where David was. He was in a time of unusual pressure. Well, that's family pressure or ministry pressure or, uh, or, or financial pressure. You're going to face pressure times. It's also this stressful time. was unusual pressure. It was a lack of clear direction. David didn't know what, what to do next or where to go next, and he just kind of uh, running loosey-goosey. And really what happens here is David, and, and here's what I love about this. It, it is both discouraging and encouraging at the same time. We think about David, and David is David a hero of our faith? Yes. Are you still awake? All right. Uh, is David a hero of our faith? Yes, he is. But David, we know about his sin with Bathsheba. We know all that stuff. We know about him having Uriah killed. But can I tell you, as you read the life of David, David was as flawed a man as you are and as I am. And in David's flaw, you find here he's going to end up lying, and he's going to end up. Uh, he's going to end up. Uh, he's going to end up. Uh, you know, uh, uh, deceiving them, and he's going to end up at the end of the chapter acting like a fool. Uh, in front of in front of the king of Gath, but this is going to be one of the times where he where his his faith really wavers. And you'll notice you notice he fears. It's, it mentions it a couple times in the in this passage of scripture. Uh, you can find that he feared the king Saul, but you can also find verse number ten. And David arose and fled uh, that day for fear of Saul. He was scared of King Saul, and he was. Scared later in the, in the passage of Scripture from, about King uh, Achish, the king of Gath there. And in the middle of all this pressure, he decides what he needs is not what he really needs. And he gets enamored with the things that are oppressive, and, and here's how I want to apply that to you today. You're, you're going to get out there, and you're going to get in a ministry somewhere, and it's not going to go like you think it should. And you're going to look across the way at some, uh, at some ministry, some non-denominational church that doesn't preach the Bible, that doesn't, that doesn't, uh, doesn't, doesn't give a good, clear plan of salvation, that has crazy music that doesn't, that doesn't belong in a church setting. And you're going to look over there and you're going to see, you're going to see the crowds in there. You're going, to, you're going to see them having three or four or five services every Sunday. And you're gonna you're gonna get under all this pressure. Ministry's not going well, or maybe family is not going well, or maybe uh, uh, finances aren't going well, and you're gonna get pressure, and you're gonna say, wait a second, maybe I need, maybe I need something impressive like that. And that, and that uh, that that church does this, and that church does the other thing. But the truth of the matter is, it's not about what is impressive. We we, we there there is more to life and more to ministry than falling in love with Goliath's sword. Now, when he fell in love with Goliath's sword, not only was this a stressful situation for him, but I want to point out this, that, that there were some side effects that happened. And these are some side effects that will happen to us if we're not careful and we'll get distracted. So they're going to get sidetracked. First of all, notice this. He, he only had a desire for a physical solution. He's going to think there is some program there is some way of doing things that if I just did this the right way. And he, and, he, and he stopped looking for the Lord to direct him, and he stopped looking for any of that, and he just said, I, I need, I need a, a plan for this. Here, here's what's frustrated me trying to serve the Lord sometimes. I, in high school, now I've forgotten it all since then, I loved math. Does anybody else like math? Okay, good, all right. I don't know what's wrong with all of us, but here we are. So I, I love math. And you could plug in a formula, and you could plug in, all right, here's this variable letter, and here's these things. And, and if you plug the right things in at the different times, you always come, there was one answer. If you got the formula right, you always got it always added up. Two plus 2 was always four. And, uh, and all these different formulas, there was always this guaranteed answer. And if you got the formula right, you got the answer right. Can I tell you this, that ministry is not math. You can do, now look, Dr. Beal can take a sheet of music and he can read the sheet of music and he can open his vocal cords and he can put breath across those vocal cords. I can do that too. I can take a sheet of music and I can open my vocal cords and I can put some breath across those vocal cords, but I can tell you this, what comes out of here is not near as good as what comes out of there because different people have different gifts and different abilities and 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 you may go you may go to some you may go to class today, and, 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 the, and the teacher will give you good advice and give you good principles. and Hey, hey here's, here's how you organize a Sunday school class, and here's how you teach a Sunday school class. Can I tell you, you can take all those same principles, and that teacher, uh, they, they may have a Sunday school class of 60, and you take everything they taught you, and you walk into your Sunday school class, and, you, and you're working on visitation for six months, and you may have eight people in your Sunday school class. And you think, what? what's wrong with me? Did I, did I do something wrong? Uh, did I did I did I uh, did I did I get something out of order? Uh, do I not have the formula right? And if you're not careful, you'll start going to all these self help books. And look, some of those can be helpful along the way, but some of those are just some what work for one man, and we get impressed with that. And I just want to I want to encourage you today when when you get in the place where you're between a rock and a hard place, don't just look for Goliath's sword. Don't just look for something that's impressive, that, that, that somebody else did, that somebody else, now look, those things can help you somewhat and give you ideas, but it's not about what is impressive. That, that sword had worked for David for one slice when he took off the head of Goliath, but that's not what David needed that day. He desired only physical solutions. He was here hunting bread, and he's here hunting the sword. And what you notice here, this, this side track that he took, he also, not only that did he do that, but he but he began, he began this journey, and you'll find this that there was never any fervent prayer. He's just looking, just looking for the physical. He's just wanting bread, and he just wants a sword, and he just wants a spear, and just give me something to help me. And there he is. And Here's what's interesting. He goes, this is a Himalek. This is a priest, right? If you go and you ask the priest, hey, can I have some help? Normally what you're going to do is you're going to say to this priest, would you inquire of God for me? As a matter of fact, I won't take the time to read it, but you can go on and you can read the next chapter. As a matter of fact, when Saul catches up with this priest, do you remember, if you know the story, do you remember what happens to this priest? Anybody remember this story? This priest gets killed. Doeg, this guy, is going to kill this priest, and everybody who's there, David's going to realize that he, that he was somewhat at fault for that. But when Saul comes up, and when Saul shows up and he says to this priest, he says, hey, uh, what is David doing here? How dare you inquire of God for David? You're, you're supposed to inquire of God for me. And the priest very clearly said, hey, hey, Saul, I didn't, I didn't ask God anything for David. David didn't inquire of God with me. David didn't want to know what God wanted. David, he just wanted a little bit of bread. And David, he just wanted a, he just wanted a sword or a spear, and I gave him Goliath's sword. I promise you, Saul, I didn't ask God anything on behalf of David. And you'll find throughout this whole, uh, this whole um, event here, there was no no prayer. There was no seeking the direction of God. There, there was no asking God, God, what do you want from me? And God, uh, what do you want me to do next? There was this, this sidetrack. It had him searching only for the physical and totally ignoring his prayer life. And I'll tell you this, if, if ministry is not math, that you know why, you know why God does that? Because He forces you to come back to Him for everything you need, for every event in your life. Did you ever notice the miracles in the New Testament? The miracles in the New Testament are interesting. They 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 a lot of times they have a command with them. You don't, get a, you don't get a miracle unless you obey the command of God. That's in most of those miracles. But also something that's interesting about the miracles is Jesus never does. Any miracle's the same. He healed several blind people, but he didn't always do it the same way. Sometimes he spits in the clay and puts it on people's eyes. Sometimes he speaks. Why is that? Because it was not about the process. It was about who it was that was working. And David forgot all about that and just got in love with the impressive. Look at who does that and look how well they do that. And if we're not careful as Christians, we will do the exact same thing. We'll forget about that God is working. And we'll forget about that we need God's direction. And we'll get so stressed out and we'll get so worried about things and we'll get so sideways that we think, hey, I just need a solution and I, and I need it now and I don't have time to pray and I don't have time to open my Bible uh, in my devotional times and I don't have time to walk with God, I've got to get something done and when, when that happens, we have nothing else but to grasp at these things that will, that, will, that will only fail us in the long run. Somebody said this, that we used to pray down revival but now we promote it. And look, there's nothing wrong with advertising. There's nothing wrong with inviting. But when we just get, when we get in love with the processes and the programs, listen, the ministry is not about the things that we do. It is about our relationships first with God and then with the other people we're trying to help get to him. Doesn't matter how fancy the building is or how well-oiled the program is, if God is not in it, it is just like Goliath's sword. It is big. It is shiny. It is impressive. People stand back and say, ooh. But it doesn't doesn't get the job done. This was the sidetrack he took. So he, he got himself in a stressful situation. He took this wrong sidetrack of just looking for physical things and, uh, and, and ignoring his prayer life. I tell you, there's one great thing. I mentioned before that David was a man just like you and I. And, and really, you, you might can disagree with me on this, but I think there's one giant difference between David and Saul. Because Saul's going to mess up things. He's a king, and God's going to reject him, and Saul's out of here. David's going to be anointed king. You say, well, wait a second. David's going to be king? Before he becomes king, all right, he's, he's going to, he's going to uh, lie about the priest or lie to the priest. That's usually not recipe for becoming a good king of Israel. He's going to get these priests killed. That was not a good thing, and it was partially David's fault. Da- David is not going to walk in to being a king because he's perfect and never made any mistakes. But I'll tell you one difference between David and David And King Saul, when David was confronted with his sins, he almost always had a spirit of repentance. Now, he tried to hide his sin with Bathsheba, and he tried to hide his sin of killing Uriah. But when Nathan put his finger in David's face and says, Thou art the man, David said, I am. And I'm going to get this right. And I believe in this passage of Scripture When he fell in love with David's sword and he just wanted what was impressive and he just wanted what worked for somebody else and he just wanted uh, something that uh, that was physical and not spiritual. He's going to get back on the right path, but I really believe we find how he got back in Psalm 56. Because we see his stressful situation and we see the sidetrack he took, but there was a superior alternative. There's a, there's a better way to handle this, David, and you find it in Psalm 56. Would you turn over there with me for a moment? In Psalm 56, now, if you have a study Bible, you'll find in your study Bibles, there's a lot of times there's a little paragraph heading that goes over the paragraph. Now, that may be something that the study Bible organized or stuck in there. But in the Psalms, that's not the case. The little paragraph, Paragraph headings that go above the Psalms are not from the study guide. Those are from the scripture that's been passed down. And we find this little heading, this little uh, title above the paragraph of Psalm 56. Notice what it says. To the chief musician upon... Jo-, well, I don't know. I'll let you pronounce that later. Mixtum, or Song of David. Now, notice this. When the Philistines took him in Gath. Now, in the life of David, Gath is mentioned about three times. First of all, it's mentioned that Goliath was from Gath. The second time Gath is mentioned is in the passage of Scripture we were just in, in 1 Samuel 21. When David takes Goliath's sword, by the way, he never uses it, never does him any good. When he takes Goliath's sword and he runs, the next place he runs to is he runs to the king of Gath. David's not thinking very well. Here he has Goliath's sword <laughs> who was from there, and he runs back to Goliath's hometown whom he had killed with this sword and expects them to welcome him in. He wasn't you very clearly. If, if, somebody, if you kill somebody and you go back to their hometown, they don't like you. It's just, that's the way it works. And so he gets back there, and he realizes, oh, they're not happy with me. And you remember in that passage of Scripture, that is where David then feigns himself to be mad and lets the spit come down on his beard and acts like he was a lunatic uh, to try to get out of there. And the king of Achish says, what is this crazy person? Get him out of here. And they flush David out. That's all happens in chapter number 21 right after the passage of Scripture he read. That's, one of the, that's the second time Gath is mentioned. The third time Gath is mentioned is in the life of David. It is when right before he becomes king, he goes to the king and he asks the king for grace. And the king uh, of Gath at that time gives him the city of Ziklag. So those three mentions, Goliath is from there. He acted like a fool in front of the king of Gath in the passage of Scripture we're reading about. And later on he's going to go back to Gath and be given a city, city of Ziklag. So I really believe this, because you notice in, the, in that paragraph it says, when the Philistines took him in Gath, unless it wasn't recorded in Scripture that he went back to Gath, that's always a possibility. But if we line this up with Scripture, the only really place that this lines up, this psalm fits, is right after the passage of Scripture we just read. Right after he's running away from Saul, right after he goes to Gath and makes a fool of himself, so that he can get out of there with his life, the idea they may have took taken him prisoner. And so this is a psalm that I believe he wrote right after 1 Samuel chapter number 21. And David, as is his practice, is going to get some things right. And instead of falling in love with Goliath's sword, he's going to get back to where he was supposed to be. He's going, to, he's going to have a superior alternative, and that alternative is always this, to seek God with all of your heart. The, the impressive things that you see around you, impressive churches, wonderful if they're standing true to the Scripture and staying right with God, it's wonderful. I rejoice in God for them. But that formula and that impressiveness is not what you need. Young ladies, when you, when you, get, when you, get, uh, when you get married and you have a family and you have a husband and and you're needing uh, uh, something, and you realize, hey, my, I needed some help with my kids. I need, a, need to get my husband fixed. That happens a lot. Uh, I need to get my husband straight now. How do I figure all this stuff? Can I say, tell you this, that the impressive person on Facebook is not what you need? They may have some good advice for you, but what you need is right here, and, and it is to seek God with all of your heart. And notice when he prays. Notice if you would, Psalm 56, I love this song. Be merciful to me, O God, for a man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies uh, would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O thou most high. What time I am afraid I will trust in thee. You find it mentioned twice in that passage in First uh, Samuel 21 that he was fearful both of David and before the king of Gath there. And he's saying, he's giving an honest assessment of the situation. And can I tell you this? When you come before God, you don't have to pretend like you've got it all together. And you don't have to pretend like you know everything. Look, when you're a freshman, you know everything. By the time you graduate, you realize there's a few things I don't know. When you get out of the ministry, you realize I didn't know anything. I I remember my pastor passed away. My granddad I had the privilege of taking over for him. And one day I'm, I'm going through his, uh, his library. And I'm going through his library and I pull a book out and it's all these notes about how to pastor. He'd gone to some pastor's conference somewhere and uh, he'd, he'd taken notes and written these things down. And I'm reading them and I'm thinking, man, that's pretty good. I wish I'd known that. I, I wish I was aware of that. And then I realized, wait a second, these aren't his notes. This is my handwriting. <laughs> I had written all these things down at some, some, uh, some session somewhere, some conference somewhere. I thought I knew something, but now I realize, hey, I wish I'd had this, remember this before, because you realize how needy you are. And so he he gave an honest assessment of the situation. He came to the Lord. Notice what else he says. In God I will praise the Lord. In God I will put up my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Every day they arrest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. Shall they escape by iniquity? And thine anger cast down the people, O God. Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears in thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? Instead of David hunting for some program or some formula that was going to fix his problems, just some bread and a sword, you ought to come to God and realize that God knew exactly where he was. And No matter what stressful situation you get in, God knows exactly where you are. He's kept all of your tears. He has a record of those, and he cares about those. Isn't that amazing? There's over, what, 7 billion people alive on the face of the earth today, and God knows every challenge you've faced, every heartache you've ever had. He keeps track of them all. Why not go to him? Verse number nine, when I cry to thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, and I love this phrase. If you have a habit of underlining things in your Bible, you might consider underlining this, for God is for me. Here's David running away from Saul. Here's David who'd killed the lion and the bear and killed Goliath, but now he has no idea what to do when Saul's mad at him. And what he needed to do was take a step back for a moment and realize, hey, I'm gonna seek God and I'm gonna put my confidence in God and I'm gonna know this, that God is for me. I don't need Goliath's sword, I just need the God who is for me, and I don't need what is impressive. I just need the God who is impressive. And let me tell you this, no matter how impressive that sword of Goliath was, can I tell you this, our God is so much more impressive. Verse 10, just to finish the psalm, he says, In God will I praise his word, and the Lord I will praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto thee. And again, put this in context for David. For thou hast delivered. He didn't say, for that sword delivered me. For thou. You know, in our, in our Bible, did you know this? That some people say, well, I, I don't like all those these and thous in the Bible. Do you know those, those are there on purpose? Because in our English language, we use you for everything. I could say you and be talking to you. Or I could say you and be talking to singular plurals all the same. Not in the Scripture. You in the Scripture is two or more. But anytime time you see a T, thee or thou, you're talking to an individual. And David said, I'm going to block out Saul, and I'm going to block out Ahimelech, and I'm going to block out the bread, and I'm going to block out uh, this sword, and just say, for thou... God, my refuge, for thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt not thou deliver my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? He was was at a place where he thought he was going to die. He was fearful. He said, God, you're going to keep me in the light of the living. There's a superior alternative to the things that are Impressive. And can I I encourage you today? Now, you may have to to store this in your heart somewhere. Maybe today you say, I'm not discouraged at all. I'm not in a stressful situation. Everything's great with me. Amen. Enjoy that season. Enjoy it. Life is seasonal. You have ups and downs. And when you're up, you're not going to stay there forever. You're going to come down. But praise God, when you're down, you're not going to stay there forever. You're going to come back up. But realize this, what I don't need need is some impressive, shiny thing like Goliath's sword. I need to run back to the God who got me where I am today. and He may hand me Goliath's sword for a moment, or he may hand me five smooth stones for a moment. But it's not about all those things. It is about my relationship and my reliance on him. Let's pray together for me. Dear Father, thank you for today. Thank you for these young people. and Lord, I pray that when they get out of here, when they step away from this wonderful place that's Ambassador Baptist College, and they face some stress or a challenging situation, Lord, that they won't look across the way at the mega church and they won't look across the way at the family who looks perfect, but Father, that they will run to you and help them to remember this little thought about Goliath's sword. If they ought not love it. They ought to love you. I ask all these things in Jesus' name.